0: Hey Fresh Capital listeners, we're back with a company breakdown and this week we're looking at Canon. Many of you would know Canon for their market leading cameras, but Canon is much more than a photography business. They operate at all ends of the imaging sector, including printers and medical equipment. What makes Canon so interesting is that it's in the midst of a business pivot to keep its technology and business relevant in a rapidly changing digital landscape. We hope you enjoy this week's episode and return to the deep dives. Keep listening and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn about companies and investing. My name is Dan, joining me, as always, Albert. How are you doing?
1: Dan, I'm going good. I'm going good. We um, we had burgers in the park last night and someone recognized me from Twitter. So that I thought that was...
0: <laughs> You've stolen my intro, Albert. I was going to start off the pod by telling everyone we were sitting in the park. Uh, a man sort of walks past us, does a double take... Comes back around and says, "Is is this Albert, the VC guy from Twitter?" And I, I could not believe it. You know, in the dark, being recognised by a complete random walking through. If you're not already, you know, follow Albert at Albert Patageo, into the MetaBERT.
1: <laughs> You're dapping me up the, the best part was after he asked us that It was like, are you guys the ones kind of blazing up in here? There's a bit of hazy green that kind of permeated the park I was like, no, that's not us
0: <laughs> it, it definitely wasn't us We were having a very peaceful evening Eating burgers and, and talking about companies But uh, it was a surreal moment for me, Albert I, I never thought uh, I would be having sort of dinner with a celebrity But th- there you go, that's what happened <laughs>
1: Uh, It's so funny i can't believe it it was it was also dark it was like 10 p.m in a park
0: (laughs) all right albert let's stop stroking your ego let's talk about this week's episode we as we were talking about last night we decided to dive into canon so many people listening would know canon obviously for their cameras their dslr cameras but there's there's a lot more to this business so how about you take us through what was the thought process behind us talking about Canon today.
1: Yeah, we're talking about Canon, the the, the Japanese kind of imaging, medical, printing business. I think a lot of people probably know Canon kind of based on their camera work, Um, but they've kind of moved through a broader transformation and, and now kind of changing gears as to where they focus. I think we've done a couple of thematic episodes around Asia. We haven't done a traditional company breakdown in a while trying to scan through some interesting companies and, and Canon came to mind because, you know, obviously a lot of people know them. They're doing some interesting things. But thematically, they're, they're involved with a lot of the companies we've spoken about, Dan, like Netflix, etc. It's just good to keep pushing up or down the stack in terms of this ecosystem.
0: So what interested me about Canon when you suggested it, Albert, was I think this tension between old tech and new tech. And when we've been diving into some of our thematics, you know, obviously we've got a very much so a progressive lens on companies and investing, looking at Asia and what's coming up. But Canon, I think, is one of those quintessential companies where you look at it, it's clearly an Asian tech company, but it's hardware. It's somewhat what would consider old tech compared to the apps and platforms that we're seeing really proliferate the market these days. And it's the, the interesting question for me is well how does a hardware company an old tech business you know put in in inverted commas how does that type of company succeed in today's world
1: yeah I mean they're definitely an old tech company in the sense that they were producing hardware which is like what, what traditionally technology was um, and now they obviously wrap their their hardware around with software and AI and things like that but you know for the most part this is predominantly a hardware business.
0: Okay, Albert, so let's let's dive into an overview of, uh, of Canon. You know as we were mentioning, it, it's not just the cameras and this is what really surprised me. there's essentially four main business segments for Canon. the largest of which is actually their printing groups. So this is 55% of all their sales. Uh, and this is, you know, office multifunction devices. So that's your huge printer that you'd see in many sort of professional service offices where you can scan, print, copy, et cetera, but also includes the sort of laser printers and other smaller printers that you'd generally have in a home office. They generally sort of class these as prosumer, so pro-consumer devices, which you can have at home. You then have the imaging group, which I think a lot of people would be familiar with. This is 18% of their sales. These are your digital cameras, uh, lenses, and also network cameras, which is something we'll we'll get into, which is think of them like your security cameras around big stadiums or buildings or car parks, that sort of thing. You've then got the medical group, which we've touched on briefly. This is 13% of their sales. You know, they're really well known for their CT scans, which are really common for broken bones, organs, tumors, that sort of detection, as well as x-rays. And then last, you've got this sort of catch-all category of industrial and others, which is, you know, a a range of OLED, FPD, flat panel display sort of equipment, which is used for very specific um, tasks at a generally larger scale for businesses.
1: Yeah, great overview, Dan. I think the key thing that comes out to me as you talk about each of those four business units is just the focus on the image and so, that really kind of sets the scene for what this business does. Like printing and their printing group, they print images. Their imaging group takes images, records images. Uh, their, their CT or their medical device business, which does, you know, CT scans, MRI systems, X-ray systems, they all they also do images and they also have got software that does analysis on images. Those images are just medical images of of Different, you know, forms whether it's you know organ and body scans, whether it's X rays, and then their industrials group, which does a lot of like flat panel displays, OLED displays. They let people view images. So more than anything, like this is just an imaging company, and each of these four business lines complement how image and that stack is created and pushed through from a value perspective, like taking photos or taking images displaying them and then printing them
0: so one of the first big questions I had Albert when I was looking at these four business units was just thinking again using that lens of sort of old tech versus new tech you know it feels somewhat old tech this business the, the fact that they've got 55% of their sales wrapped up in printers and then you've got another I think what was it, 15 uh, or so percent 18% rather in uh, their digital cameras both of these uh, segments, which are kind of under attack, if you think of the episodes where we've done with DocuSign, you know, that kind of business is all about a transition to paperless, which I think generally would expect to continue into the future. And then with their digital cameras, obviously a huge competition from handheld devices like mobile phones, et cetera, with great cameras already built in.
1: Yeah, uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the other thing that's worth noting before we start to dive into these is that, you know, they're not just a a B2C business. And I don't want to think about them as we talk about uh, Canon on the pod as like they just have cameras and, and they've developed, you know, printing and things like that for cameras. Like it is very much now a B2B business. And they've started to pursue like a very long term strategy that they've broken out into different phases that shifts their business from a B2C business out to a B2B business. The
0: floor is yours, Albert. Dive
1: in deeper. Yeah, it's, it's actually funny. I've never seen a long term strategy this long before. Like most long term strategies are like three to five years. Um, and this one spans 1996 to 2020. I don't know whether in 1996 they um, they retro, they, 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 they embarked upon a strategy and just kept building upon it. Um, but each of the phases are done in five years. So, um, the overall broad arching um, plan uh, is what they call the the Excellent Global Corporation Plan. I'm sure that's been translated from Japanese, but <laughs> I really like that name. It's just, it is what it is, right? Excellent Global Corporation Plan. <laughs> so, the, the Excellent Global Corporation Plan, five phases. The first phase is really about how they started to manage cash flow in their business. So... You know, this is a, a pretty technical in accounting, but if you're selling hardware, you, you'll manufacture the hardware, and then that comes at a cost to you. You then have to sell that hardware to someone else, and maybe that person won't pay for that hardware for, you know, three months, two months, however. So, now you could basically go that entire life cycle of creating the hardware, selling it, and only getting paid like a while after you've sold it. People don't pay their invoices on time. People take time to pay their invoices, et cetera. So, their first part of their business, as like unglamorous as it is, was really all about cash flow management and watching how they manage that flow of other things that they need to get paid for, things that they pay for, in order so they can reinvest that back into their business. So, it's really about getting the foundations of their business right from a cash perspective, From there, they then started to reinvest that cash back into digitizing their business. So, this is phase two. They started to digitize their their copying machines, their cameras. They started to become more competitive. Uh, The phase three of their business was really about you know, how do we scale globally? So this is, if you think about it, like predominantly like a Japanese US-based business at this point in time. Now they're looking at how do we take our product global? There's obviously lots of challenges with shifting big pieces of hardware, like cameras, like giant printers around the world. Uh, And how do they do that at scale and still manage their cash flow across different currencies, across different customer segments? Uh, Once they've done this, they then shifted into what they call Phase 4, which is something that's kind of been happening at the moment, uh, where they started to heavily pursue m and If you go to Canon's Wikipedia page, you can see all the lists of acquisitions they've pursued. They've pursued things in you know, medical devices, different pieces of consumer and enterprise software to build out kind of a full-stack business. As part of this, they also launched a bunch of new B2B camera businesses. So they launched the Cinema EOS system, which does like cinema-grade or enterprise-grade cameras uh, and, and the sensors around that. And right now they're kind of pushing through uh, Phase 5, which is a, a really big push into medical. They, they acquired Toshiba Medical Company, which is one of their bigger competitors, uh, and formed their medical imaging group, uh, which we'll probably talk about um, as well. But well, thematically, I mean, this is obviously their plan and what they've been doing. But what I want to paint is this is a a traditional legacy hardware business that, you know, had done well historically. And then as they went through and how the world changed, they started to lose revenue, their revenue declined, they, they actually went backwards in revenue for a number of years and quickly realized that they need to evolve the business in a way that helps them become more competitive and leverage their expertise in imaging, in sensors, to become a relevant business again
0: so this is interesting to me Albert because you know what we consider a relevant business I think it's obviously very subjective and depending how you're you're slicing this company up you can look at it in, in different ways and one way you can look at it is wow they make you know about 30 billion dollars every year in revenue. That's the same as an NVIDIA. That's the same as a Netflix. Both companies which are very, very hyped. You feel like they've got a lot of momentum. But, you know, if we think of it dollar for dollar, they're very, very equivalent to Canon. So in that sense, it's hard to think of them as not relevant. But you're absolutely right when you're touching on this sort of pivot, this, this focus on strategy for Canon. They don't have the same tailwinds as an NVIDIA, as a Netflix, which are very clearly geared towards just what's happening in the future to the future of our economy, to the future wants and needs of consumers. And in that way, I, you know, I go back to the point I just made before. It feels like where Canon is positioned is a little bit precarious because you have so much market share potentially dwindling in the printing segment and potentially dwindling also in the camera segment, depending on the way new technologies go shift towards paperless, a shift towards you know just just wanting to have your social media your cameras your photography all of that on your handheld device as opposed to you know this big chunky DSLR camera or equivalent. So the question becomes you know how can Canon really sustain itself in the face of some of these these factors.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Obviously the the overall market for like imaging and cameras has grown because of the smartphones and now everyone has a, a relatively good camera but this also has meant that the market for a physical digital camera has shrunk because if you've got a camera in your pocket that you can carry around whip out some great photos and predominantly you know people don't really share photos like if all the photos you take you probably only share like one or two a day if that um, just has just meant that it's eaten into the market share of Canon and what they can achieve that being said, this is why Canon has started to shift towards B2B and play in higher grade spaces. They've definitely been out there and come out and said, you know, you know, we're, we're not looking to compete anymore against that. We're, we're playing in a different niche. And the niche that they've really found themselves now is mirrorless cameras. So there are obviously multiple types of cameras. You've got DSLR, which contains you know, mirrors that reflect light as it comes in. So you take a photo, it reflects light through a mirror, and then the the camera will process that. That's probably like a, a not an old school technology, but, but definitely older technology. What a big innovation in camera technology at the moment is mirrorless cameras and trying to replicate uh, the quality and the image processing of a mirrored camera, but with a mirrorless camera. And right now, Canon is trying to become the number one player in mirrorless cameras with a key focus on professional photographers, as well as kind of amateur photographers who understand that a phone camera isn't going to cut it. So when you think about the world is becoming more content driven, more image driven, everyone's a photographer. When you are in the photography game, or you've got photography as a hobby, you really want to focus on the key Products that improve your imaging because that's your craft, and Canon is playing in that space now.
0: Well, Canon isn't just playing in the space. If we're talking about cameras specifically, they're really leading the space. Anyway, when we talk about companies which I love and I really gravitate towards, uh, Albert, we're talking about those market leaders, and that's clearly where Canon is for cameras. You know, in, ter- in terms of market share, top five brands in the world. Canon 47%, Sony 22% coming in second, Nikon 13%, Fujifilm 5%, Panasonic 4.4%. So really you're talking about a clear market leader in the field of digital cameras. The question is though, is is it okay to be a market leader in a market that's shrinking when we're talking about you know, how many people are now carrying around these big cameras? As you were talking about Albert, the shift towards You know, hobbyists, semi-professional hobbyists or professionals with their small businesses using photography uh, as a business, what what kind of market is that for Canon to take advantage of? So if the market's ultimately shrinking, then is it still fine to be a market leader? Should they really be expanding into other areas, not just these sort of dwindling consumers who are buying this product?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is still that, that B2C lens. And what what we just didn't talk about now is like how this cascades and transforms into their B2B business. And, you know, a, a key thing I do want to call out is, you know, Canon is trying to, to service and push further into businesses who are doing content production full time. So if you think about like production houses, big studios, you know prof- professionals in, in kind of marketing you know they they're really trying to push through into broadcasting and video production and those all those things require incredibly high quality cameras particularly remote cameras that you can control without the use of people and so that's a big emphasis for canon is because you can almost charge a subscription type business here where each year these businesses are buying the latest piece of technology because they need to continually evolve the quality of their content. And so while a consumer may only buy one camera every couple of years and buy like one or two lenses every couple of years, you've got these businesses who are constantly pushing the boundaries of their camera quality and their image quality in order to remain relevant. And and that's one part of their kind of B2B business. The, The second part is around what they call like um, network-driven cameras. And so, as the name says, they're cameras connected to a broader network. Think of them as like security cameras, cameras that you've got in retail stores to scan products, items, uh, autonomous vehicle cameras, which is a big part of what um, Canon is looking at at the moment. And then they're also kind of pushing into frontier technology like virtual reality. So they've got um, the, this piece of tech they call Emreal. It's nothing like B Real, but it's a, a mixed mixed reality um, camera technology that looks like a kind of VR headset that you can wear. But this shows that they're leveraging their camera imaging technology to, to integrate, you know, VR and AR and build these headsets. So I think for Canon, they've got this consumer lens in their business. They're really shifting into a B2B focus. Those are two good puns there. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. I mean,
0: one of the questions that throws up for me, Albert, when we talk about what's the difference between uh, a B2B lens and a B2C lens from a business perspective, and one of them is, I think, quality of your product, which Canon really, really has. Uh, They've clearly got a very differentiated product, which is known by its brand. It's known for particular quality factors. And when you're talking about professionals and businesses that use Canon, they're using it because it really is fit for their purposes. So I think they've got that really on lock. But one one thing which I question is that their supply chains, they're a business which is heavily dependent on semiconductors, computer chips, you know, not um, unique. We've talked about several other companies which are also somewhat constrained uh, by the semiconductor shortage that's happening at the moment. Electric vehicles is a big one. And that's something which has been seen in Canon sales over the last probably about two years, one and a half years, is like their unit sales are down from pre-pandemic levels. And part of that is attributed, of course, to many of the other factors happening because of COVID. But one of them is the sort of shortage in supply. And I wonder when you're trying to make a pivot and you're trying to create a new product offering that fits a new uh, market niche, in this case, a shift towards more B2B, Do they have, you know, the the critical components, materials to really pull off that move? Is it just a case of they're in a, a difficult time? It's unfortunate timing for them to be making this shift.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really unfair call out though because there's really only one full stack hardware business like that and that's Samsung. And like obviously Samsung is a competitor against Canon because they also manufacture Um, cameras, uh, OLED devices, screens, etc. But they're such a diversified business in that they sell their uh, chips, they also use their own chips. Like there's no other business in the world who is like Samsung in that regard, who is fully integrated from a computer chip all the way through the end product.
0: I'm not trying to come off as critical to, to Canon, but I guess it's more a question of just, you know, if we look at the landscape in which canon's trying to play in are, are there these environmental factors are there these uh factors outside of canon which are really going to affect them as a business and affect the choices they're trying to make as a business you know sometimes when we think of businesses as failing you know it, it's not attributable to the decisions of the management of the team etc it could just be the context in which they're operating in and, and that's sort of You know, and I'm not thinking that Canon's going to fail just because there's a shortage or constraint on supply of computer chips. But I I do think it's a limiting factor potentially on how well they can succeed in such a sort of marketplace like that, such a market conditions like that.
1: Yeah, I guess the the question I hold put back is like, do you see that computer chips always going to be supply constrained?
0: No, no, certainly I I don't. And we've talked about this in our TMC Oh, Taiwan Semiconductor episode and also with, with Samsung, you know, the the fabs that they have to make, these factories that you need to make to produce these semiconductors, you need lead time of, of years and billions of dollars of investment. And so it's not just a question of like, this, is, this supply is going to suddenly become unconstrained just like that. There's going to have to be a lead time. And the question is, does that lead time sort of match up with the initiatives that Sony, rather, Canon, are trying to pull off right now. And, you know, if it's just the case that semiconductors are constrained for the next couple of years, does that just unfortunately not stack up with what Canon's trying to do? And it, to me, it's not just a question of supply being constrained because there's a couple of factories that need to come online at the moment. We're heading into a future where everything is going to need computer chips and it's, you know, it's conceivable to me that the production of computer chips is going to be a long term constraint on not just cameras and imaging devices, but just every kind of product which requires them, electric vehicles, home appliances, etc.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's obviously lots more chip providers and things like that, but it, it is a good call out. But I wouldn't say it's the limiting factor for this business. Okay, Albert, what
0: do you want to talk about next?
1: Look, like we just talked about um, imaging, as we could quickly just hit printing because that that's kind of a, a boring part of their business. They sell you know um, pr- printers and uh, what they call MFDs, like multifunctional devices, which can do print, scan, copy. They 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 service a, a broad range of segments B two B, which is like you, your giant printers that you have in the office. You know, Dan, I'm sure you're very familiar with it from from uh, your job. I'm I'm familiar with it from you know work as well you've got these giant printers they're probably the size of a person they can do a whole range of different things and then you've obviously got your home printers it's it's actually interesting in the notes that of their latest um quarterly report you know both home printers and office printers have experienced growth year on year um home printers obviously because of the work from home and then Office printers, because a year ago no one was in the office, and now people are coming back into the office. So it's kind of hard to look at this business and say printing is an attractive part of their business because it's growing year on year, because that's obviously been influenced by COVID. It's just a good call out there.
0: I don't really have much to say about the printing business, Albert, or the printing side of the business, Uh, apart from the fact that I'm kind of shocked that it's 55% of Canon sales. In, In some ways, you can see it as being quite a lucrative legacy business. You go to any office, basically anywhere in the world, you will have uh, a printer, a copy machine, a scanner, etc. So even if it's being used less frequently, um, arguably it's still an essential piece of equipment that offices need to have. Uh, what's interesting to me about the printing business is the business model. You know, we've talked about how in some sort of uh, consumer electronics and technology, this idea of you have a main product, which then is like the thin edge of a wedge, which opens up to accessories and further purchases. That's very much what a printer is. You know, you have that core piece of hardware and then you can potentially wrap servicing costs over it because obviously it's a long-term piece of hardware. It would be in the office for years and years and years. Then you also have the added accessories like print cartridges, et cetera, uh, spare parts, all of that actually kind of increases the lifetime profitability of a particular piece of equipment which they're selling and also opens the door to just sort of a longer relationship uh, with a particular client. You know, an office that buys 10 of these Canon uh, printers, they're going to be a customer of Canon for however long those printers are in operation in terms of the servicing costs, uh, spare parts, print cartridges so it's kind of a a sustainable business in in terms of it's a long lasting business once you get that first device into the door with a particular customer but but overall i come back to that question of you know how sustainable is printing as a business uh when you think about us going paperless in the future
1: yeah would you feel differently if you saw what their percentage of their business was in cameras say five years ago yeah for sure because then, if, if you if you look at what what the snapshot of the business is at one point in time, then I can see how you would feel that they're lukewarm. But if you think about where the business is going and how they're transforming, and maybe this isn't a great narrative, uh, but in, in 2017, um, their office printing units was 45 percent of their business, which you know now now it's gone. Now it's gone up, which is which to me was very surprising. To 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 be honest. Um, but you know, obviously, obviously, in in between now and then, you, you've had just an explosion of, of um, images and, and and things like that. Um, obviously, in digital world, people are still printing, which is which explains that. But you know, there's also other parts of the business that you could explain it with. But to me, that's a bit of a shocking trend if you just compare those two data points.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is kind of shocking, isn't it? You'd think it'd go the other way. But then uh, this is sometimes why I I really enjoy out deep dives, Albert, and looking at businesses, particularly across a, a particular section, because it's it, sometimes it's these, uh, what do you call it? You know, when people, you know, this is what I classically say, when, when people are zigging, there can be an efficiency, a productivity in zagging at, the, at that particular moment. And I think this sort of hits on the point where, yes, uh, as a general trend, things are going paperless, there's less need for printing. But there's still an enormous need for printing from incumbents, from people who do use printers in the office, from people who use home printers. And in that way, you know, you're not going to have a hundred different companies servicing that market, but you can have a few. And if Canon is positioned as one of the, the market leaders, you can have a really profitable and successful business coming out of that. So, I mean, to me that's why i find it interesting from almost that sort of academic view of wow this is they really taking advantage of this segment at the moment but i don't find it interesting from a future lens where i see them i see this business segment being prosperous 20 30 40 years from now necessarily
1: i guess i don't know from from a b2b lens like whether they they enter into customer segments via the printer was like the printer gives them the right to play and then they on sell other things or from, from like a medical device perspective, whether they can sell the CT scanners and a printer as a whole package and that's what makes it attractive because other people can't do that. But, you know, I think if you take it back to what we discussed at the top of pod, this is all about, this is an image business and they play across each of the segments of viewing image, taking a photo image, printing an image. And, and you know, despite this digital world we live in, people still want images businesses still want images and like you said as you as you push through diagnosis on a medical device as you you know move through high end content creation maybe you still want images printed out because you know screens OLEDs, flat panel displays just aren't there yet
0: yeah i think i think that's right you know you, not everyone's holding around an ipad so they don't have to print anything anymore they can just sort of have it on a tablet or a screen that future is still a while away, and if we think about the spread of countries we've been looking at with our thematic episodes over the last month, Albert, you know a lot of developing countries in Southeast Asia and Asia, where you know that kind of ubiquity of electronic tablets and screens, so you don't need paper, is 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 not going to be a quick uh, tap to turn on. You know there's going to be a long lead time before that future comes into play, and I think that's what uh, Canon are really cognizant of in their materials, I don't necessarily agree with the future vision that they're, they're talking about. But in some ways, I think they are quite persuasive when they talk about there's always going to be a need for printing in a future where images are so prolific and needed, particularly high quality images. People are going to want to have hard copies of those ones that they can hold in their hands and exchange with colleagues. And so, you know, you're perhaps losing the less valuable printing, you know, the reams and reams of documents, contracts, hundreds of pages of just typeface. But if we're thinking of images of, you know, those crisp, really lovely-looking photographs, having a hard copy of those maybe is something that isn't just going to disappear entirely in the future.
1: It's actually funny because the volume of printing has actually decreased globally, and Canon say that in their annual report but printers have increased as a revenue share within their business and it's still growing in terms of sales per segment right this is a part of the business that has you know declined but is growing year on year so uh very very interesting okay albert i think the the next business segment to hit is probably medical right yeah i think the the big one is is medical this is a big part of their their strategy at the moment is kind of push into medical systems and so, like I said at the top of the pod, this includes a range of things such as CT scanners, MRI scanners, x-rays, you know, any kind of medical device that you need to take uh, an image of a person, a body, do some sort of analysis, uh, it includes digital radiography systems. You're basically taking images of a body in, in different um, levels of fidelity and clarity.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to throw some stuff at you here, Albert, because obviously I haven't done a deep dive into the medical tech itself. But what's really interesting to me about this part of Canon's business is I guess the the geographic spread of where they're positioned as a company. You know, in some ways, I think they're ideally spread. Their sales by region is sort of 25% in Japan, 25% in Asia and Oceania, 25% Europe, 25% the Americas, you know, essentially. And that kind of division when I first saw it I thought was great because then you've sort of got this stability you don't have too much concentration in one one area and if you're thinking about um, yourself as a business it can kind of cushion you from shocks but when we talk about the medical business and I think you prompted this in the discussion before we started recording you know the idea of but really you should concentrate on areas where you have more of an advantage and so it's kind of peculiar that you have such an even composition of sales by region for instance if we're thinking about medical devices medical equipment shouldn't there be a higher concentration in geographics where there's an aging population so for instance Japan huge aging population Um, why isn't there more medical devices being sold there because presumably you'd think there'd be more need for them there compared to, we've been talking about Southeast Asia as having a really, really young population and also you know, less degrees of, I think, access to medical facilities. You know, so why, why is that such an even split? Now, obviously these are total sales by region, which includes cameras, um, the medical devices, printers, but you know, it's just curious to me why there perhaps isn't that focus in certain regions based on a particular problem like an aging population.
1: Well, it's not driven by age of population, but just, I mean, there, there's a lot to unpack there, I think, on, on how you distribute medical devices and, and sell. So, a lot of medical devices are sold through distributors. So, Canon would sell to a medical distributor, and then the medical distributor would then sell to uh, their hospital network or, or their broader like university network and things like that. So, I'm not sure if you've ever seen the, the movie Love and Other Drugs with Jake Hall. Yeah, so he, he's like a medical device salesperson and he goes out and, well, medical device, he sells uh, Viagra for Pfizer. Uh, that's all the the movie's about. Uh, he's a Viagra salesperson. But uh, generally, um, for a lot of medical device businesses, they don't hit a bunch of hospitals up to try to sell the product. They sell to distributors who then on-sell the product to their hospital network. Um, and so that's how they solve distribution I think then if you think about you're selling to a particular customer set, which is hospitals, then your market size is really restricted to like number of hospitals. So broadly, if you look at, you know, bigger countries like, like the US, et cetera, they, they will have larger hospitals or more a high number of hospitals than other countries like Japan. So, you know, just, just, I know you, you like a bit of stats, Dan. So, you know, for stats there, there's about 8,000 hospitals in, in Japan, which is actually quite a lot, you know, given that Australia only has about a, a thousand hospitals or so. Um, but if you, if you start to look at uh, other comparable countries, like the US has so many more hospitals than that. It's got, you know, 6,000 hospitals, uh, you know, Korea's got 4,000 hospitals, France has got 3000 hospitals Germany's got Germany's got 3000 hospitals and so if you've got 25% of your sales in a country that only has say 4000 hospitals but you've got 25% of your sales in countries like in in Europe which you know you've got in aggregate more than you know 10 to 15000 hospitals the question i'd want to ask is why aren't you penetrating Europe at the same rate you are is Japan? Is it a distribution problem? Is it a competitor set problem? Is it is it about you know scale? Like can you can you not ship products to Europe fast enough where you can either ship products in Japan because that's where Canon's based? So that that's what I would. Yeah, understand. I think
0: you've you've nailed it, uh, Albert. You've hit the nail on the head there. That that is the question to be asking, and and maybe that's the, the way the Canon's answered it. And it appears from all the annual reports, you know, they're really going after America to be the, the number one sort of CT systems provider in the U.S. And maybe it's just because of, of that fact that it's easier to build a relations in America. There's a large market size and they can just sort of penetrate it more easily than Europe, for example. Even if Europe has a sort of larger pie there, if you think about Europe, it is very disaggregated you've got different languages. So if you're trying to sell to France compared to Germany, you're going to need completely different sales reps in a way which you probably don't if you're trying to sell but sell between Texas and Ohio or something like that. You know, if you're just doing sort of online calls, for example, because the language barriers, the cultural barriers are very, very different. Not to mention just sort of legislation, legal requirements, regulations, particularly in a, in, in a field like medical health, presumably differ very much so between countries in Europe and that would probably be a limiting factor uh, or a constraint or just an, an extra hurdle to overcome if you're trying to penetrate Europe as a geographic location for this particular product.
1: Yep, yep. Yeah. And then I guess the last part of their business that we haven't yet talked about, which is what they call their frontier business. It's not much about this business in the annual report, but... Presumably, it looks at some of this newer technology that we've kind of touched upon, AR, VR, you know, leveraging AI into, you know, camera sensors and camera processing and, and image processing, uh, as well as kind of their virtual reality business, Emreal
0: Yeah, this is probably the part of the business which I'm, I'm less focused on now, but, you know, we're, we're talking before we start recording to, to me, I would want to see a little bit more proof behind some of these actions or behind some of these words, rather. To me, when you think of, yes, there's such a fantastic opportunity with these network cameras to have cameras inside electric vehicles, autonomous driving vehicles, uh, to have cameras for um, augmented reality, virtual reality, those sorts of things. Super, super interesting, but unless there's a, a little bit more... Tangible evidence behind it, and I know sometimes that's difficult to provide. To me, it just sort of reads as a wishy-washy statement to shareholders, saying, "You know, look, we could be doing this, or we're doing something related to this," but it's hard to really put any confidence behind what that might look like in five, ten years, uh, once the R and D is sort of actualized itself.
1: Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. I guess what I would point to is, you know, autonomous vehicles are still kept secret. Across a lot of different car companies. And while there's always little touch points around, you know, Tesla's developing this or, you know, Apple's developing this, and people talk about the Apple self driving car as like one of their worst kept secrets, like they haven't yet gone to market and said in an announcement that we have developed this autonomous vehicle. And so because there's not many companies who are actively releasing public information about that, like it would be very rare for Canon, who is a supplier to those companies to disclose that because they're bound contractually that they can't. But by signaling it in the annual reports, they're telling shareholders like this is something they're actively looking at and pursuing or this is something that we are developing. It's part of a, a, a small customer set that could be a part of our business in the future.
0: But the the one thing I would add on that, which I find kind of interesting, is when you're looking at the the top, um, what do you call it, sort of patent holders by company in the United States, Canon is actually third you know, in the top 10. You've got IBM and Samsung ahead of them, but then there's Canon with uh, 3,000 patents held. TSMC, the, the semiconductor company, comes afterwards. Huawei's afterwards. Apple's afterwards. Microsoft's afterwards. So they're really kind of ahead of some of these companies that you'd associate with research and development, innovations, tech. So that, that sort of interests me when I think of Yes, they're obviously coming up with somewhat intangible statements about what they're doing, but clearly there is a lot of research development and innovation happening within Canon.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. What do you think about like patents as a leading indicator for innovation? Well, I,
0: I guess I see it as one of, of many indicators, but if anything, it just tells you that they're producing things, that they're really uh, going out there and, and researching things, producing actual products, which they're then getting to a patentable stage so to me that, that that is a good indicator i think on a on a sort of just general as a general comment it,
1: yeah to to me it's probably a bit interesting because it goes both ways it's just like apple's not going to patent their again like their their car because then they've just signaled to the market anyone can see the patent filing that they're developing a car and and so i don't know whether it is a, a positive or negative signal as to whether they're developing the right tech all right albert do we want to we haven't done this for a while do you want to do verdicts oh uh, yeah before verdict or maybe just east west comparison because it, it is like a eastern company go for it albert i mean there, there's there's a lot of camera companies that aren't um that aren't western i didn't i didn't realize how many like camera companies actually originated in asia i don't, I don't know the answer to that uh you know i on that east-west comparison, there's obviously a lot of um, Asian companies who play in, in the camera and imaging space. I think to me, the the key segments of the market and from a east-west comparison, to call to C, like I really like the comparison to GoPro. I know then they obviously don't play in the same space at all, but when it comes to like content creation, particularly on a consumer lens, like GoPro is such a competitor to Canon because. They they're, they're complementary but also competitors, in terms of like, you know, taking your GoPro around to, to take photos and things like that, or taking it on a trip versus taking your Canon on a trip. Polaroid also another um, competitor that that's also US based, um, and again they they complementary but also they they play in in the same space because you're using that to take a photo. Those are
0: those are both good ones, Albert. I think. Now, I haven't thought about, and I can't think of one really off the top of my head, which is Apt, maybe something like a, a General Motors, the idea being you know, there's a comparison to be made about a bit of older hardware, and then faced with a lot of new challenges in this sort of evolving landscape, and, and having to try and pivot for General Motors, obviously the, the autonomous vehicles question, electric vehicles question, and then Canon, You know, I think we're not quite sure what that future product is that they're moving towards, but very clearly there is a need to move somewhat away from uh, the printers that they've got and maybe modernize their cameras in such a way to wrap more software and other services into them. Okay, Albert, verdicts?
1: Yeah, I like the business and, and where it could be going, like particularly around camera networks, AI, vision. You know, I think we, we've always talked about the importance of vision on this podcast and you can't do vision without cameras. I think Canon can... Can be an important player and not be the Kodak and Nokia of the space.
0: So no surprises for me. I think Albert, I'm, I'm somewhat lukewarm on the fence with Canon. You know, I think they're really interesting, great business. Uh, clearly, they've they've been a market leader for so many years now in, in various categories. But there's sort of long term systemic questions, which for me they're probably you know maybe five years out from really persuasively answering where they're going to go with those sorts of ones. Not going. I think they've got a clear direction, but you know whether that direction is going to work out. Uh, I can't really divine that from the company at the moment, from what I can see. But really, really interested to keep track of them and just sort of revisit them in a couple of years to see how they're going in terms of sales in this really, really competitive and changing environment for them.
1: Yeah, interesting. Did you see their, their mini, their like tiny, tiny button camera that they're developing for like autonomous vehicles and things like that? It's like this tiny 3.2 megapixel camera.
0: No, I haven't, but it sounds super cool.
1: Yeah, so, so they've shrugged the camera all the way down into like a tiny camera that they can manufacture at scale. Maybe that hopefully gives you comfort around what this business can do. Okay,
0: Albert, let's finish up there. Thank you for listening to Fresh Capital, a podcast about companies and investing told in a refreshingly simple way. If you're not following Albert on Twitter already, please get on that. And of course, check us out next week. See ya.